door opened just the smallest bit. I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. Well, the tree spoke with an English accent because it was an English walnut tree, you see. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers from all over the world. I'm Sam Payne, and it's my pleasure to bring these stories to you just about every day. And, uh, of course, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. It's likely to happen even while you're listening to the stories that we bring you in this hour. And if it does, we encourage you to share them with us as well. You can reach out to us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you, and we even love to put some of our listeners' comments on the air in future Appleseed episodes. And of course, you know, before we begin bringing stories to you today, we want to remind you that you can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed, or Google the Appleseed podcast for an archive of all of the episodes of the Appleseed. More than a thousand episodes now, and thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. And we're talking about not only the full hour-long episodes that you enjoy, the episode you're enjoying right now, for example, but also uh, shorter episodes. We call them Appleseed Extras, and you can only find them in the podcast for when you've got just a moment or two and you want to fill those moments with a great story or a great conversation. Lots to see and do there. And while we're talking about this stuff, we might as well invite you to join us online uh, as part of our social media family. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or Instagram for all kinds of great content, including video content of some of your favorite storytellers. There's lots to see and do and be a part of in our social media family. We'd love to see you there. Today on the show, we'll bring you stories from Dolores Hydock, a story called Once in a Blue Moon, about a guy who's convinced he has the worst luck than anyone he knows. You'll hear a story from Milbury Birch called Don't Look Up, and a story from the great musical storyteller Heather Forrest called A Farmer's Horse Ran Off. And the characters in all of these stories see things in different ways, and it affects the way their stories turn out a lot of the time. You know, happiness is often a matter of perspective. If we view things as being terrible, it becomes very likely for us to perceive any outcome for us to be just that, terrible. And on the other end of the spectrum, if we keep on the sunny side of life, we can often make the best of a situation, even a bad situation, and get out of it with happiness intact. And of course, this doesn't mean that we should always set our expectations so high that we're bound to be disappointed no matter how anything turns out. It just means that perhaps the next time things are going south, we might try having a little bit of faith or looking for a little bit of good. Sometimes we find it. So in today's episode, again, we've filled the hour with characters surrounded by good and bad, and each has a unique way of seeing the situation. And we're going to begin with a story from Laura K. Deal. This is part of a collection of stories called the Diffendaffer Taffy Cafe. Now, Laura Deal has always loved stories. She grew up listening to and reading anything and everything, and she says her favorite genre of story is fantasy, and that shines through in this story, where 
where spectacular things happen. A young man in this story is trying to make his way in the world and decides to buy a dream. And though some call him crazy and others are out to see him look like a fool, he learns that it can pay to follow your instincts. The story is called Tex Buys a Dream by Laura K. Deal here on The Appleseed. I want to tell you the story of a man named Tex, a hard-working cowboy who lived in the late 1800s in Colorado. He'd come from Texas on a cattle drive with his friend Bob, and the rancher who had bought the cattle had about two months' work for him, and in that time, Tex managed to fall in love. There was a young woman named Kate who worked there at the ranch as a laundress. Kate fell in love with Tex, too. And so they got married. Now the owner of the ranch valued Kate's hard work so much that he offered to let them stay in a little house that he had down at the corner of the property so they could live there together. But those two months went by, and then Tex didn't have any more work. So he went out looking for a job with just a few coins in his pocket. He was very sorry to leave Kate behind. But he had to do what he had to do. His friend Bob went with him. The second day that Tex and Bob were out, it was a hot, muggy day with the sun so bright they had to squint. Along about midday, they came to a stream shaded by cottonwood trees, and they decided to take a little break and let the heat of the day ease off a bit. They let the horses graze, and Bob fell asleep right away, but Tex... He just sat there thinking about Kate, about the life they might have together and what he could do to keep her safe and happy. What he wanted more than anything was a little ranch of their own with cattle and horses and dogs and maybe some chickens. He knew it would be a lot of hard work, but neither he nor Kate were afraid of hard work, so that would be no problem. Ah, he was dreaming, though. How would he ever get that kind of money? As Tex sat there daydreaming, all of a sudden Bob snorted. Tex looked down at his friend and saw a little bee fly out of Bob's nose. The bee flew away to the north. Tex thought that was the strangest thing he'd ever seen. And then Bob sat up and said, Oh, I had the weirdest dream. Well, what'd you dream? I dreamt there was this bee that told me to go to this ranch. Oh, what was it? The richest ranch west of Denver. Yeah, that was it. And and there'd be a pine tree growing behind that house, and next to that pine tree there'd be a rabbit brush bush all in bloom, and if if I dug down next to that rabbit brush bush, I'd find me a jug full of gold. Now Tex, he heard gold, and his ears perked right up. A little shiver started going down his spine. Really? You gonna do that? Bob said, what? No, it'd be crazy to go chasing off because of a strange dream. I gotta find me a job. Tex said, I tell you what, I'll buy that dream from you. What do you mean you'll buy my dream? What kind of fool talk is that? Tex reached into his pocket and pulled out a whole dollar. Back in those days, that was a lot of money. In fact, it was all the money Tex had saved toward buying a place of his own with Kate. 
But he said, Yep, I believe in it. I want to buy that dream. Well, Bob rubbed his head and wondered if he was still dreaming or if his friend had gone clean off his rocker. But a dollar was a dollar. Well, I hate to take your money, but if you're serious, I won't argue. So Tex bought that dream, and he set out right away, heading north for Denver, looking for the richest ranch west of the city. He made his way through the mountains and hardly took any time to sleep or rest, just hurried on thinking about that dream. And as he got into the hills west of Denver, he started asking around, what would be the richest ranch in these parts? Didn't take long for people to point him to Witta Johnson's ranch. They all said pretty much the same thing. Yeah, Witta Johnson, she's the one with all the money, but she's tight about it. She probably won't be hiring. She's as likely to give you a tongue lashing as anything just for showing up at her door. Well, this didn't worry Tex. A tongue lashing he could take. So along about dusk, he went up to Witta Johnson's ranch and rode on up to the big fancy house. Oh, it was bigger than most churches he'd seen. He tied his horse at the rail and knocked on that door like he believed it. Witta Johnson opened that door herself, and she was a tiny woman all bone and grit. She glared at him and said, I ain't hiring. Tex said, Oh, no, ma'am, I didn't come about a job. Well, what are you wasting my time for, then? Well, you see, it's like this. I just want to ask you if you have a pine tree behind your house. She looked at him. Well, yes. And is there a rabbit brush bush all in bloom growing next to that pine? Well, yes. Why do you ask? See, I had this dream. Well, I didn't have the dream. I bought the dream. But this dream told me if I dug down next to that rabbit brush bush, there'd be a jug full of gold. There'd be everything I need to start my life with Kate. Really? Widow Johnson started thinking. Now, she'd never been adverse to having a little more gold, and he did know about the pine tree and the rabbit brush bush, and it was blooming out of season, so that was a little odd. She said, I'll tell you what. It's getting on toward dusk. You go on down to the bunkhouse and get yourself some supper. You can stay there tonight, and in the morning we'll go see about this dream of yours. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Oh, bless you. This is great. And he went off, so happy to have a warm meal and a place to sleep, and excited about the morning. He slept that night so peaceful. Went at Johnson, though. She didn't sleep. She paced back and forth. And then she finally went and woke up her oldest son, Russell, and she said, There's probably nothing to it, but if there's gold under that rabbit brush bush, I figure it's on my property, so it belongs to me. And you're going to inherit some day, so you're going to come dig. Russell said, Yes, Mama. So he got the shovel, and she got the lantern, and they went out there by the rabbit brush bush. He started digging, and the ground that was usually so hard, it was soft and easy, just like it was meant to be. It didn't take very long before his shovel hit that jug just sitting there in the earth. Witta Johnson, she held that lantern high and pulled the cork out of that jug. A little bee flew out, circled the lantern once, and flew away. When Witta Johnson looked in that jug, she started to laugh. That jug was plumb empty. Russell said, What are you laughing for, Mama? There's no gold. But she said, This'll be the best joke ever played on anybody. They put that cork back in and filled up that hole. 
She couldn't wait to see the look on Tex's face, and she stomped on the ground so it wouldn't look freshly dug. And then she went to bed. In the morning, she went out there with Tex. Tex started digging, and that ground moved real well. It didn't take him very long before he got down to that jug. The dream was true. He was so excited. He reached down and pulled that cork out, and what do you think was in there? Well, it was empty. Now, Tex, he couldn't believe it. He realized what a fool he'd been to give his money to Bob and come all that way to dig up that jug and find out the dream had been a lie after all. He apologized, all sorrowful for wasting Widow Johnson's time. He got on his horse and rode away. Widow Johnson, she didn't really think it was funny anymore. This young man had been so earnest and so disappointed. And Tex, he was such a straight shooter, it never occurred to him that Widow Johnson might have dug that jug up first and taken the money. No, he just thought about how he was going to tell Kate that he'd spent that whole dollar for nothing. As he rode home over some of those high mountain passes, he looked down and thought about not going home to Kate at all. But he knew he couldn't do that to her. He thought about making up some story, but he couldn't come up with anything but the truth, which didn't patent him in a very good light. It took him three days to get back to that ranch where they had their little house. He got there about midday, so he thought Kate would be up at the bunkhouse doing laundry, but no, she came running out of the house. She said, Tex, Tex, you're home. Come on, you won't believe it. She didn't look like she was hurt or anything, but something was the matter. He jumped off his horse and went into the house, holding her hand. She opened up that door, and on the floor of their house there was gold, coins everywhere. Tex said, Where'd all this come from? She said, You're not going to believe it. It was about three nights ago I was asleep, dreaming about you, and I woke up to a sound like a swarm of bees up in the attic. I got up and opened up the trap door to the attic, and this one little bee came flying out, flew around me, and then flew off, and a moment later, all these gold coins came pouring out all over the floor. I left them here so you could see. I just know you're not going to believe it. But the truth was, Tex did believe it, and they bought their little ranch, and they had cattle and horses and dogs and chickens and some beehives. And from that day forward, their lives were as sweet as honey. Tex Buys a Dream, a story from Laura K. Deal from a collection of stories called the Diffin Daffer Taffy Cafe. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with stories from Milbury Birch and Heather Forrest and a story from Dolores Hydock called Once in a Blue Moon that uh, will remind us that we should never be too distracted to take advantage of a good opportunity. A story about a guy who thinks he's got the worst luck of anyone he knows. And before we go to a break, we just want to remind you again, you can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day here on the show. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story from Laura Deal, a story from a collection of stories called The Diffin Daffer Taffy Cafe. The story was called Tex Buys a Dream, a story to provide evidence that dreams do come true and sometimes in ways you don't expect. Now, coming up, you're going to hear a story from Dolores Hyduck. i got to make a confession. I think I've been announcing this story all hour as being called Once in a Blue Moon. The truth is Once in a Blue Moon is the name of the collection of stories from whence this story comes. The story is called Looking for His Luck and it's a story about a guy who thinks he's got the worst luck of anybody he knows. Anybody who's heard a story from Dolores Haddock, whether it's a traditional story or a fictional story or a story about her family knows that a Dolores Haddock Doc story fills you with thoughts of your own experiences and dreams and gives you plenty to talk about with the people that you love. We always hope that that happens as you listen to the stories that you hear here on the Appleseed, that they'll spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. We hope you do that. Share those stories that you're thinking of with the people in your circle. And of course, we hope you share them with us too. You can reach out to us at the Appleseed at BYU. Dot edu. And, of course, we love to hear from you. In fact, we even put uh, some of our favorite comments and stories from our audience on future episodes of The Apple Seed. Now, again, as we said, this next story is by Dolores Hydock, and it's been said of Dolores Hydock that she talks with her hands and her elbows and her shoulders when she speaks. She is literally irrepressible. If you've ever seen Dolores Hydock tell stories live, then you'll know. Fortunately, we won't get to see her talking with her hands and elbows, but just listening to her stories is a dynamic experience worth having. And in this story, a man is convinced that he has the worst luck of anyone he knows. And so he goes on a journey to find out what has happened to his luck. And along the way, there are all kinds of opportunities which he doesn't take because he's too busy looking for his luck. Here's Dolores Hydock with a story called Looking for His Luck here on The Appleseed. Jamie Creel was the unluckiest man in the world, or at least that's the way it seemed to him. It's not that he had bad luck. It's that he had no luck at all. He spent most of his free time warming a bench at the Squealin' Pig, his local pub, draining a cold beverage from his glass, and bemoaning the fact that he had no luck to brag about to his mates. His best friend, Thomas McKittrick, was an aggravation to Jamie because whenever Jamie would ask Thomas how he was, Thomas would always reply, tip-top, tip-top, I'm a lucky man. That's what Thomas would say, tip-top, tip-top, I'm a lucky man. The truth is, there wasn't a penny's worth of difference between the two lads in terms of looks or fortune or station in life, but Jamie Creel was convinced he had no luck at all, Thomas McKittrick was convinced he was a lucky, lucky man, and, well, they were both right. One day, Jamie Creel was sitting there at the squealing pig, listening to one fellow go on about how lucky he was. He and his wife had just been blessed with a beautiful baby boy. And then another fellow was talking about how fortune had smiled on him. His gorgeous, red-haired sweetheart had agreed to be his wife. And then a third fellow walked in from the outside, all rosy-cheeked, rubbing his hands together and exclaiming how lucky he was to be alive on such a fine day. And Jamie Creel said, that's it. That's it. 
I'm going to see her. I'm going to see the wise woman of Nachnamin and ask her why I haven't any luck. Like everyone else who lived in that little village, Jamie Creel had heard all his life about the wise woman of Nachnamin. She was an ancient woman with wild white hair and piercing blue eyes that could see straight into the heart of any person. She lived in a misty, musty rock cave at the top of Nachnamin Hill, and she could answer any question. But to get the answer to your question, you had to cross seven mountains and seven valleys and seven rivers and seven streams and seven meadows and seven forests. And if you didn't lose your way or give up on your journey, she would answer your question. So the next morning, Jamie Creel put his cap on his head, slung his sack over his shoulder, and he headed on up the road. And as he approached the edge of town, he passed by the home of his good friend, Thomas McKittrick, who was just coming through the gate, heading into town for a day's work. Hello there, Thomas said Jamie Creel. How are you, my friend? And as always, Thomas replied, tip-top, tip-top, I'm a lucky man. Where might you be going, Jamie? Well, I'm going to see the wise woman of Nachnamin to ask her why I haven't any luck. Is there anything you'd like me to ask her for you while I'm there, Thomas? Thomas thought for a moment, and then he said, there is one thing you could ask her for me. I've always thought I was a lucky, lucky man, Why don't you ask her, what's the luckiest thing that'll ever happen to me? Indeed, I will, said Jamie Creel, and he headed on up the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came to a clear blue stream of water and thought he would stop and fill up his water jug. But as he bent down toward the stream, he heard the rustle of leaves. Someone approached, looked up to see a large dog or rather what had once been a large dog, but was now just the suggestion of a large dog. For this poor creature's eyes were dull, its coat was matted and gray, its ribs were sticking out from its sides like a washboard. Hello there, said Jamie Creel. You look like you've seen better days. Come here and let me give you something to eat. Oh, that's so kind of you, said the dog, but I couldn't possibly. Well, the dog spoke with an English accent because it was an English setter dog, you see. (laughs) Why, whatever do you mean, said Jamie Creel, apparently not at all surprised that the dog could speak. Well, you see, the fact is that I can't swallow anything. I didn't always look like this, you know. I used to cut a rather fine figure of a dog. In fact, I once placed in the Brixley-on-Thames Gun and Kennel Association dog show. But about a month ago, something happened. I don't know what. But ever since then, I've not been able to get a thing down my throat. I don't know what the trouble is, but I do know if... I don't get some help soon. I'm not long for this world. Well, said Jamie Creel, I'm going to see the wise woman of Nachnamin to ask her why I haven't any luck. I could ask her about your trouble as well. Well, if it's not too much bother. Oh, indeed I will, said Jamie Creel, and he headed on up the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came to a lush green grove of trees and thought that would be a fine place to stop and rest for a bit. He went into the center of the grove, and right there in the middle was one tree, all bent and twisted and withered and gnarly, without a single green leaf on any branch. Jamie Creel stood there staring at this terrible-looking tree when it spoke to him. Eh, what are you looking at? Well, the tree spoke with an English accent because it was an English walnut tree, you see. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon, said Jamie Creel, apparently not at all surprised that the tree could speak. It's just that all these other trees are so lush and green, and you're all bent and twisted and withered and gnarly. 
you don't look like you belong here at all. Well, aren't you the bright one then? Aren't you tell me something I don't know? Fact is, I didn't always look like this. I used to be as lush and green as any tree you'd ever hope to see. Then one day, about a month ago, something happened. I don't know what. But ever since then, I've not been able to get any air or water up through me roots. I'm strangling from the ground up, you might say. I don't know what the trouble is, but I do know if I don't get some help soon, I'm not long for this world. Well, I'm going to see the wise woman of Nakhnameen to ask her why I haven't any luck. I could ask her about your trouble as well. Don't mind if you do. Indeed, I will, said Jamie Creel, and he headed on up the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came to a cottage, a charming cottage, with a thatched roof and roses growing up the side, and a beautiful young woman with shiny dark hair standing in the garden, tending to her roses and singing to herself. Hello there, said Jamie Creel. Well, you're singing such a beautiful song, and you have such a lovely voice. You must be the happiest woman in all the world. Oh, said the young woman, without any trace of an accent at all. <laughs> I wish that were so, but the fact is that even though I'm brave and clever and hardworking and strong and a good cook and a grand conversationalist with a great sense of humor and a really pleasant personality, I'm just not happy. I wonder what the trouble is. Well, I'm going to see the wise woman of Nakhnameen to ask her why I haven't any luck. I could ask her about your trouble as well. Well, that would be so kind of you. Indeed, I will, said Jamie Creel, and he headed on up the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he had finally crossed seven mountains and seven valleys and seven rivers and seven streams and seven meadows and seven forests, and he hadn't yet lost his way or given up on his journey. And sure enough, right in front of him was Nachnameen Hill. And at the very top was a misty, musty rock cave where he found the wise woman of Nachnameen who patiently listened to all of his questions, and in no time at all, he was headed back down the road full of answers. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came back to the thatched roof cottage with the roses in the garden, and the beautiful girl was there singing to herself. Hello there, said Jamie Creel. I've got the answer to your question. The wise woman of Nakhnameen says the reason you're unhappy is you're lonely. She said if you just had someone to talk to and laugh with and share your joys and sorrows with, you'd be as happy as any woman has any right to be. Oh, I never thought of that. Well, might you be that someone? Oh, no, I haven't got time for that. I've got to go find my luck. When I asked the wise woman why I haven't any luck, she said I had plenty of luck. She said it was all around me, and if I'll just keep my eyes open, I'll be sure to find it so I know it's out there somewhere. And he headed on down the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came back to the lush, green grove of trees. He went straight to the center, straight to the bent, twisted, withered, and gnarly tree. Hello there, said Jamie Creel. I've got the answer to your question. The wise woman of Nakhnameen says, the reason that you're sick is you've got something tangled up in your roots. She said it's a big, heavy chest of gold. Some robbers buried it there when they were making their escape, but they got caught, and they're in jail, and they can't come back and get it. She said if someone would just dig up that big, heavy chest of gold, your roots would be free, and in no time at all, you'd be as healthy and green as any tree has any right to be. Is that a fact? Might you be that someone... 
Oh, no, I haven't got time for that. I've got to go find my luck. The wise woman said, I've got plenty of luck. She said it was all around me. And if I'll just keep my eyes open, I'll be sure to find it so I know it's out there somewhere. And he headed on down the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came back to the clear blue stream of water. And there right next to it was the poor old dog, so weak and sick it could barely lift its head. Hello there, said Jamie Creel. I've got the answer to your question. The wise woman of Nakhnamin said the reason you can't swallow is you've got something stuck in your throat. She said it's the core of an apple that grows on a tree nearby here. She said you must have got hold of one somehow and it got stuck when you were trying to swallow it. She said it's from the tree of golden apples of perfect health and that if someone would just reach down in there and pull out that apple core, not only would you be able to swallow again, but that someone could plant the seeds of that apple, grow their own tree of golden apples of perfect health, and if they ate just one of those apples every day, they'd never be sick a day in their life. Well, that's extraordinary. Might you be that someone... Oh, no, I haven't got time for that. I've got to go find my luck. The wise woman said I've got plenty of luck. She said it was all around me, and if I'll just keep my eyes open, I'll be sure to find it so I know what's out there somewhere. And he headed on down the road. And after he had traveled a week and a day, he came back to the village where he began. He went straight to the squealing pig and was enjoying a pint and a chat with his mates when who should walk in but his good friend, Thomas McKittrick. Hello there, Thomas, said Jamie Creel. How are you, my friend? And as always, Thomas replied, tip-top, tip-top, I'm a lucky man. How was your journey, Jamie? So Jamie told him all about the sick dog and the withered tree and the lonely girl. And Thomas sat there with his mouth hanging open. Jamie, what are you doing here? Why didn't you rescue the dog and dig up the treasure and marry the girl? Thomas... I haven't got time for that. I've got to go find my luck. The wise woman said, I've got plenty of luck. She said it was all around me. And if I'll just keep my eyes open, I'll be sure to find it. So I know it's out there somewhere. And he stood up, put his cap on his head, and was heading out the door when he suddenly turned. Oh, Thomas, I nearly forgot to give you the answer to your question. The wise woman of Nakhnamin said to tell you that the luckiest thing that'll ever happen to you is having me for your friend. (laughs) Looking for His Luck, a story told for you by Dolores Hydock, a story that appears in a collection of stories called Once in a Blue Moon, Every Story Worth Listening to in that collection. Top of the hour, you heard a story from Laura K. Deal from a collection called The Diffin Daffer Taffy Cafe. That story called Tex Buys a Dream, a story about dreams coming true, just like the story that you just heard reminds us that we should never be too distracted to take advantage of a good opportunity. Those opportunities are all around us if we're willing to look for them. There's a lot more coming up on the Apple Seed. You're going to hear a story from the great musical storyteller Heather Forrest and you're going to hear a wonderful story from Milbury Birch as well you won't want to miss a word I'm Sam Payne you're listening to The Appleseed we'll be back in a moment welcome back to The Appleseed here's Sam Payne 
It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story from Dolores Hydock, a story called Looking for His Luck, a story that reminds us that we should never be too distracted to take advantage of a good opportunity because those opportunities are all around. If we're willing to look for them, that's a hopeful message for a story, isn't it? And before that, at the top of the hour, you heard Tex Buys a Dream from Laura Deal, a story about the notion that dreams do come true and sometimes in the ways that you don't expect. In just a little bit here, you're going to hear a story from Heather Forrest, a story called The Farmer's Horse Ran Off. But first, you'll hear a story from Milbury Birch. Now, isn't it great when things go your way? I mean, I think we'd all sort of agree that that's uh, kind of how we want things to be, right? How often, though, does that actually happen where everything works out and life is exactly as we imagined it would be? For some, that happens very rarely. It seems like for me, that happens very rarely. I've been dealt a life that is much different and in a lot of ways more blessed than the life that I ever could have imagined for myself. I think about that sometimes. Maybe you do, too. And I think that if I could choose between the life I imagined for myself and the life that I actually have, I'd probably choose the life that I actually have. Start counting the blessings that are actually a part of my life. That list gets pretty long. Now, in this story, Milbury Birch shares the tale of a girl who tried her best to help her family but had to leave because there wasn't enough food for her and the rest of the children. That is a classic folktale setup, isn't it? And it gets worse before it gets better for the protagonist of our story. She can't find work for a long time, but even in the midst of a lot of difficulties, the girl remains considerate. She reaches out to those who are in need of help. And in the end, she is rewarded in a way that will reward you upon the hearing of it. The wonderful storyteller Milbury Birch with a story called Don't Look Up. Here it is on the Appleseed. Don't Look Up There was once a girl who lived at the end of a long lane in a small cottage. She lived with her mother and her brothers and sisters. Oh, there were many of them. And this girl was her mother's great helper and did everything about the house for her. And her brothers and sisters, well, she cared for them as well. But that was a time of great famine and want. And one day her mother came to her and said, I cannot keep you any more. Every mouthful to you is one that the little ones don't get you will have to leave, my girl, and make your own way in this world. And I will hope that you return to us as best you can. That night, the girl slept near her brothers and sisters, listening to their breath and wondering, when will I ever see them again? In the morning, they lined up next to the door, smallest to tallest, and her mother pressed upon her a bit of food to sustain her. She went down the lane without a backward glance and onto the high road into the village. But soon after that she came to a village she didn't know, and from then on not a face knew her, and she knew no one. She asked the same question wherever she went. Do you have some work for a girl? 
a handy, handy girl. But the answer was always the same. There's no work here. For man or boy or girl, get you gone. And so she would go ahead, to the next and the next. Her food lasted as long as she could make it. But soon there were just bits and crumbs, and she knew that she must find some food if she were to survive. One night she slept and awakened and walked about, wondering what to do, and saw three fields surrounding a wood, a dark wood. She went to the first field, walked in, and there, right in the center of that field, where none should be, an apple tree. And the tree was bent down against the weight of the fruit. She went right up to it, and the apple tree spoke to her as if it was a person. Girl of mine, girl of mine, pluck me. For seven years no one has plucked me. Well, I shall pluck you now. And she pulled off the apples until they made a carpet all round and brought some fruit up into her skirts and went her way, refreshed. The next day she came to the second field, and in the middle of that field, where nothing should be, she saw a cow swollen with milk. The cow spoke to her just as if it was a person and said, Girl of mine, girl of mine, milk me. For seven days no one has milked me. Well, I shall milk you. And she did. Drinking the fresh milk, she was refreshed and went her way. The next day she came to the third field, and in the center of that field, where nothing should be, there was an oven. She went right up to it, and she reached out to touch, ow, hot. But the oven spoke to her and said, Girl of mine, girl of mine, open me. For seven years no one has opened me. Well, I shall, she said, and she pulled open the oven door. And there was loaf after loaf after loaf of fresh bread. She pulled the loaves out, kept one for herself, ate a bit and was refreshed. And that night she slept well. The next morning she went straight to the woods. Now she knew the stories. She knew that one should not enter the dark woods. But she did. The path was narrow, and the sun could not make its way down all the day to the ground. And yet still she went. Courage, she said. It wasn't long before she came to a clearing, and in that clearing there was a cottage. And she knew someone was to home, because smoke was coming out of the chimney. She knocked right smart on the door. The door opened just the smallest bit, and an eye, a dark eye, looked out. Who are you? What do you want? I'm here to work. I'm a girl who can do almost anything. I would like to work for food. I'm very, very hungry.
Well, what can you do? I can uh, cook and mend and garden and bake. I can do anything just for food. Well, you come in then. We shall see what you can do. So she went right through the open door now. But what she did not know is that the woman was a witch. Now, girl, you may stay here tonight and I shall feed you. But tomorrow morning you begin your day by going over right at that hearth you see it, and I want you to scrub those marble stones back and forth, back and forth, until you can see your face. But woe betide you, girl, if you look up the chimney. Well, the girl slept that night and thought of her brothers and sisters, but got up the next morning, and she began her work, and she scrubbed those marble stones back and forth, and indeed she could see her own face. She worked harder that day than she had ever worked in her life, cooking, helping, cleaning, and she fell into bed and slept. Each day began that way, scrubbing back and forth, and she never looked up the chimney. The truth of it is, after a day or so, they got on rather well, each one working hard, very few words exchanged. Then, after a while, the woman said to the girl, Now, girl, I will go away, three days, perhaps four, but while I am gone, you do as if I was here to see you. You work hard, scrub the stones, and woe betide you, girl, if you look up. And if you do, Anything amiss, I will know, and I will be back so swiftly that you will not be able to believe it. Aye, well, I, I shall work hard. The next morning the girl got up with a light heart, and she went about her work as swiftly as ever she had done. First, of course, she scrubbed the marble stones and the next day passed just as quickly. She brought flowers in and sang about her work, and began, of course, by scrubbing the marble stones. On the third day, she got up, set herself to work, and scrubbed those stones back and forth and back. But then she looked up the chimney, and there was something in that chimney. There was a dark bag, and when she laid her eyes upon it, the bag started to descend right into the hearth. Oh, she said, and she stepped right in and shoved it and pushed it back into place. There, and stepped back, only to see the bag descend again. Well, well, and she fetched a small stool stepped upon it, and pulled the bag up and hooked it to a hook she found inside the chimney, stepped out to see it come down again. She couldn't get it back. Well, now what was she to do? 
She looked at that bag. She saw that it was noosed tight. And so she opened the noose, slid her hand in, and pulled it out. For there was something cold sliding away. But she was a plucky girl. She put her hand in again and pulled out gold coins aplenty. Which is gold? Well, now I ask you, what was she to do? So she thought for a moment and then flung the bag right over her shoulder and ran for her life. She ran faster than she had ever run before, down the path and toward the fields, and came out in the first field with the apple tree. She ran up to the tree and said, Tree of mine, tree of mine, hide me, so the old witch won't find me, because if she does, she'll break my bones and bury me under the marble stones. Shh! Hold on tight, girl. So the girl flung her arms around the trunk of the tree, and the tree's branches swirled and dipped until she was concealed. And not a moment too soon, because right behind her came the witch's heavy tread. She came to the tree and said, Tree of mine, tree of mine, have you seen a girl with a willy-willy wag and a long-tailed bag? She stole my money. It was all that I had. No, mother, not that girl, but another. Which way did she go? That way. And the woman ran, and so did the girl. Until the girl found herself in the second field. And she ran right up to the cow. Cow of mine, cow of mine, hide me, so the old witch won't find me. Because if she does, she'll break my bones and bury me under these marble stones. Get behind me, girl. Lie down behind me. And she did. And the cow's great body concealed her just in time. For the witch came up and said, Cow of mine, cow of mine, have you seen a girl with a willy-willy wag and a long-tailed bag? She stole my money, and it was all that I had. No, not that girl, but another. Which way did she go? That way. And they both ran. The girl ran to the third field and ran straight up to the oven. Oven of mine, oven of mine, hide me, so the old witch won't find me, because if she does, she'll break my bones and bury me under the marble stone. Shh! Get behind and be quiet. When the witch came up, she said, Oven of mine, oven of mine, have you seen a girl with a willy-willy wag? and a long-tailed bag, she stole my money. It was all that I had. Yes, mother. She's inside. Pull open the door. The witch pulled open the door, which was cold. Put her hand on one side and her hand on another. I feel no girl. Look farther, mother. The witch peered and looked. I see no girl. Step up, mother. So the witch put up one foot and then another and then leaned far in 
to find that girl, and the oven door closed with a sigh. And the girl ran for home. I cannot tell you how long it took her, and I cannot tell you why they knew she was coming. But when she ran down that path toward the cottage, there they were, from smallest to tallest, and her mother waving her apron. Oh, the joy in that cottage that night. Oh, the embraces. And they say, that from then on, from the time that the woman's gold came to the family, no one ever came to the door who did not leave with a blessing and food. Oh, yes, and the witch, well, she stayed in that oven a long, a cold, and a hard time, and when she came out, for come out she did. She was witch. No more. Milbury Birch with a story called Don't Look Up here on the Apple Seat, a story to remind us that we should always try to help those around us, even perhaps especially when we need help ourselves. Now, up next, we've got a story from the wonderful musical storyteller Heather Forrest. It's a story called A Farmer's Horse Ran Off. And since it's a story about a farmer, we should let you know that not only does Heather Forrest know what she's doing when it comes to telling stories, but also when it comes to telling stories about farmers. She herself has an interest in making wonderful good things grow from the ground and has done that for just about as long as she's told stories. And we're talking about decades and decades. Heather has a master's degree in storytelling, and we've been listening to her for years. And in this story, a farmer experiences a series of events, each having good and bad consequences. The farmer, who is a wise man, has one thing to say each time. I don't know if it's good or bad, he says. <laughs> Up next, the story, A Farmer's Horse Ran Off. Heather Forrest on The Appleseed. A farmer's horse ran off, try as he might. He couldn't catch him. His neighbor, seeing this, rushed to the farmer's side and said, Oh, how bad for you! Now you've no horse to haul your wood. The farmer looked at the dust in the distance. And he said, I don't know if it's bad or if it's good. The next day, the horse came back with a mate, a new wild mare it had found out in the fields. When the neighbor saw two horses in the farmer's stall, he rushed to the farmer and he said, Oh, ho, 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 look, look, 
How good for you! You must be glad. The farmer looked at the two horses in the stall, and he said, "I don't know if it's good or if it's bad." The next day, the farmer's son decided to try and tame the new wild mare, but the horse threw the boy. And stepped on his leg in many places, crushing it. The farmer ran out into the field, and as he was lifting his broken child, the neighbor saw. The neighbor rushed to the farmer's side and said, "Oh, oh, how bad for you!" Your sorrow is understood. Once again, the farmer looked up at the neighbor and said, as he carried his boy, "I don't know if it's bad or if it's good." In time. The country went to war, and all of the able-bodied youths were conscripted. All except the farmer's crippled son. The farmer, with his arm around his boy, and the neighbor, stood alongside the road, and they watched as row upon row upon row. Of able-bodied youths marched off to the battlefield. The neighbor wiped tears from his eyes as he waved goodbye to his two sons. He turned to the farmer, and he said, "Say it. How good for you!" Your son is home. You must be glad. Once again, the farmer said, "I don't know if it's good or if it's bad." The This is a story without an end. Take from it what you will, my friend.
Heather Forrest with A Farmer's Horse Ran Off, a story in which every event seems to be part misfortune and part good fortune. I'm Sam Payne, and it's been such a pleasure to be with you today. This hour was written by Trent Horton. Our audio engineer is Stuart Foster. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. And from all of us here at the Appleseed, we hope you're well. We hope you're taking care of each other. We hope you join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. That's where you'll find an archive of all of the episodes of the show. Or Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day here on the Appleseed. More stories next time. And, of course, we do hope you'll join us. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's me, Sam. Just one more quick thing before you go. We love having you with us on The Appleseed, and there's a lot more at BYU Radio that you'll enjoy. Top of Mind, The Lisa Show, Constant Wonder, all available as podcasts and at byuradio.org. Give a listen, yeah?